Hello there, you're listening to the Act 29 Europe podcast, conversations on church planting in Europe. My name's Dan Steele, I'm pastor of a church in Oxford, and along with my co-host Steve Robinson from Liverpool, we want to hear from different guests about what God is doing in different contexts in the vast expanse of Europe. To be better informed and encouraged, to know how to be praying, and to, under God, plant more and healthier churches that thrive and flourish as they take the message of Jesus into a world that needs to hear of him. Hi guys, welcome to our next episode of the X29 Europe podcast. My name's Steve Robinson and I'm here with my co-host, Dan Steele. Dan, what are your plans for summer? What are your plans for your family holiday? Not yet. We are not, not entirely sure yet. Second half of August, it's booked in to go do something, um, depending on what we're allowed to do, probably in the UK. But if we could get abroad, we would probably consider it, I think. Just, just to get out of Oxford would be amazing. Oh, nice. nice. Well, like I think most people, we had our holiday cancelled. We were meant to go to Portugal wow. last summer, and it was delayed for this coming summer. But obviously, because of everything that's going on, that has now been cancelled. So like I think lots of other people, we're planning on having a holiday in the UK. And being from Liverpool, being a city lad, getting out to the country is mm. like is, is, is something that's a real treat. I get a little bit lonely not seeing people being from a busy city, a little bit lonely. But there are some beautiful places in the UK that if what, we had the weather, what, I'm what sure people... What kind of places are you thinking, Steve? <laughs> <laughs> well, funny you should say that, Dan, because our guest today actually lives in a really beautiful part of the United Kingdom. We have with us our good friend, John Hindley, who lives in Norfolk. John, good to, good to see you. Good to have you with us, bro. Thank you, Steve. It is lovely to be with you. And Norfolk is utterly delightful. It is um, almost paradise on earth. Almost paradise. Let's see what that's like after the end of the summer when basically half of the UK land on <laughs> Norfolk because we can't get on planes. Yeah, my, um, my, my parents-in-law who live locally, they have two holiday cottages. And my Ooh. wife, Felicity Flick, she manages the bookings and they have been inundated. Um, that everybody wants to come to Norfolk this summer. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. And I can recommend those holiday cottages. I've had the privilege of staying in one of them in the past, a number of years ago. But John, mm. we could talk all day about holidays in different places. I think everybody's desperate to just get out of their own towns, get out of their own cities if they can. John, tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, a little bit about uh, the church that you're leading there in Norfolk. Yeah, thank you, Steve. Um, as I said, I'm married to Flick. Uh, we've been married well over 18 years now, um, and she is a lovely, godly woman. Uh, we've got three little girls, Daisy, Eliza, and Sylvia. Um, and we live uh, in a village called Fretnam, just about seven miles north of Norwich in Norfolk. And I serve as uh, one of the elders of a church there, Broad Grace Church, which um, we led the team to plant that church uh, 11 years ago now. So. We've been down here in Norfolk a while. We're not from here. Um, we, were, we were up in Manchester before that. And again, part of a team planting a church there in Manchester that was called The Plant and is now called Grace Church. So we've been involved in church planting for a while. And, and while we're up in um, Manchester, we, we were visiting Norfolk. As I said, my parents-in-law lived down here. We, we loved the place. We, we really enjoyed coming. But we also saw a lack of churches here, uh, particularly outside the city. There's great churches in Norwich. There's some great churches in the countryside, just far too few. 
And we mm. began to pray about mm. more churches in Norfolk. So apart from the obvious differences between Norfolk and Manchester, Manchester being a really rainy, miserable place. All right, okay. <laughs> I have to say that being from Liverpool, rival city, rival city. Some great people who live in Manchester, but it does rain all the time. You can hear the jealousy in his voice, can't you? you can hear the jealousy. <laughs> Apart from the differences of Manchester obviously being an enormous northern city and Norfolk being a, a more of a rural area, what, what, what major differences have you experienced in, from planting a church in Manchester and planting a church in Norfolk? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I, I think that the biggest difference we found is the speed of seeing a church established. Mm. Um, the church in Manchester, we, we've begun with a team of uh, seven people and we left after five years. And I think, I can't remember exactly, but I think we had about 75 members. Um, wow. and, and we've just seen a, a, quite a lot of just numerical growth that, that gave a sort of buzz. It gave the possibility of doing different ministries, of, of reaching out to different groups in the city. Uh, when we, we moved to um, Norfolk, uh, we, we started with a team of 12 people. And I made a joke um, about this once, and it was one of those kind of bittersweet jokes that in three years we grew from twelve to ten, uh, and and after five years, I think there were maybe fifteen, twenty of us. Um, and and I, I was looking back, quite despondent about this, mm. and realised that I think more people had been saved in Norfolk. Just. A lot of people in Manchester had moved to the city for study or for work. They were Christians. They were looking for a church. Uh, they liked the idea of a church plant because they were committed to uh, reaching the lost. They, they wanted to be part of a church. They were seeking to do that very proactively. They wanted maybe to be part of a smaller church. And so they joined us. Um, and that led to numerical growth. But it, wasn't, it was good growth, uh, but it wasn't growth of the kingdom. And I think that was the thing that struck me. It just was a lot slower in Norfolk to, to kind of feel like the church was was established. I guess this feeds in, but I know, John, you're part of um, leading the kind of rural collective as part of Act 29, particular mm. focus on rural regions, which are often overlooked when it comes to planting. Um, any more to add to that in terms of the challenges of planting in rural areas? I know in one sense saying rural area is a sly misnomer because depending on where you are around the world, um, what is rural will be quite different. Um, but, but what are some of the challenges of, of sort of rural planting? Um, yeah, thank you, Dan. I think part of the Act 29 Rural Collective, we really struggled to define rural because, as you say, it, 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 varies, it varies enormously in one country, let alone globally. Yeah. Um, but some rural areas are, are very um, affluent. Uh, yeah. You can think of rural home counties in the yeah. UK. Um, some are very poor. Uh, yeah. Often you think of the Welsh Valley, some of the schemes in, in Scotland, mm. um, and plenty are just in the middle, which is where Norfolk would be. Our, our villages are socially diverse. I remember um, my wife going to a jumble sale organized by her sister's toddler group, mm. and it was in uh, one of the ladies was hosting it in her house, and it was lady with a capital L and house with oh, yeah. a capital H. <laughs> and it was lord and lady, and the jumble sale was being held in their stable block. <laughs> that was grander than anyone else's house. Um, and, and there were ladies there helping the jumble sale who lived in the social housing um, yeah. down the road. 
Yeah. And so yeah, the villages yeah. in Norfolk are like that. We're socially mixed from yeah. old school landed gentry professionals, lots of tradespeople, um, teachers uh, as well, um, people who work in the city, and then people in social housing. So real, real range. I, I think that one of the things we try to do is with rural, as a rural collective, we talk about small, isolated and forgotten places. Mm-hmm. And, and those are things that seem to us to connect rural. The places are small, which means that um, people know each other. Mm-hmm. It takes time to get established. Uh, our church has been here 11 years, and we have mm-hmm. outlived quite a lot of local government initiatives. Mm-hmm. Rural people are used to things that last three years and then peter out. Um, we are forever having projects kind of started, particularly by government, but by other I mean, often good things, but they tend not to last. And, and I think there's a sort of sense of, well, let's see how it goes. I remember after five years talking with, with my wife, it just felt like we didn't know anyone. And we're quite outgoing, but it just, but then after we've been thinking about that and praying about that, it just felt like, and, and part of those people, a lot of the mums at the school gate, they, they went to the school, they know each other. Mm. Um, a lot of the dads grew up together. It's hard to break in. You go to mum for lunch on Sunday, like you always have. But we've begun to realize that actually over time, we, we had got to meet people. Like I found it, there was a guy in the village who rang me up. I didn't know him that well. And he said, John, um, can we go out for a pint? Uh, I think we're getting divorced. I need to know about your God. And it was like, wow, okay. And I felt like we'd gone from zero to, to six yeah. like yeah. that. But I think what had basically been happened is he'd been spending five years working out if he could trust me. And then, yeah. not, not that he'd have known that, but it just took a lot longer. In Manchester, people had moved in, got a house, got promoted, moved out within five years. Um, you're, you know, so it's, it, it's, it's small, it's, it's more relational. Something that fascinated me is our church has had a lot more traction evangelistically since we bought a building. Mm. And I think people went, okay, you're serious. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't want to buy the building. It was kind of forced on us by, by the Lord. Um, but in Manchester, we never owned the building. It made no difference. Um, yeah. But I've heard that a friend in America said, mm. someone in his town said, sign a mortgage and I'll think about your, coming to your church. Wow. Um, and, and I think people want to go, are you really committed to the village? Do you really care about this village? Um, and I, I don't think it matters that we're not from here, but it does matter that we're committed to here. And mm. if you're not from here, the assumption is you're not. So you have to prove that you are. Um, so they're small, they're isolated. I think that's a challenge for ministry mm. because you can end up cut off from other people. That's been one of the things we've been trying to do with the Rural Collective is provide that connection um, because, because it's hard work planting a church. It's hard work pastoring a church. You you struggle with disappointment, despondency. That's not unique to rural places. What's maybe harder is it's just harder to go for a coffee with a like-minded mate yeah. and have him share the gospel into your situation. Yeah. Um, so, so I think that isolation can be harder. Personally, that's not been so hard because I've just been really blessed with people locally, nationally, internationally who who connected with me and shared their lives. Um, mm-hmm. but I think a lot of rural guys, that is. And then forgotten, and this is an interesting challenge. Um, nobody, nobody gets famous as a rural pastor. And 
none of it are in it for the fame, but I am. Um, yeah. <laughs> the, the wicked bit of me is, um, and and I, I am tempted to preach to the glory of John, not the glory of Jesus, and and that that being forgotten. It, it can feel hard. I actually think it's not a hardship. I think it's a blessing. Um, it's interesting. It, it, to be honest, it probably nearly broke me at about between three and five years in. I think I was really struggling. And I, I saw that those were struggles actually with pride, mm. uh, with a desire to be something great. That Of course, there was a right sadness that we weren't seeing people saved. We should cry out over the last. But but a lot of it was pride. And I think if I'd had a, I think the Lord spared me, if he'd given me a sort of successful, whatever that means, ministry, I think, I don't think I probably could have coped with that. Mm. Uh, I think having something that just didn't fly in, in yeah, sort of yeah, yeah. worldly terms um, was, was actually a huge blessing. So it was a hardship that I'm, I'm, I'm glad of because I, I kind of hate to think where I would have been if it hadn't been like that how does um how does the rural collective actually work week by week so are you on cohort chats or have you got someone who oversees and sort of checks in with people or if if there was someone listening in who was potentially keen on planting in a rural area um but recognize some of those difficulties that you've just mentioned um and i think they're very real difficulties and they're you know they're the kind of things that would make people press pause and think hard, then how might the, the Rural Collective actually be of be service? Yeah, thank you. So we're trying to think of what we do in, in two ways. Um, one is providing resources for rural church planters generally, to be honest, rural ministry generally. There's a lack of resource for rural ministry. So a sort of um, open approach where we want to serve everybody. Things that would fit into that would be we run a, a monthly rural church planting webinar yeah. Uh, which is at 3 p.m. in the UK on the second Wednesday of the month or 10 a.m. in Australia, uh, um, uh, Sydney time on the, the Thursday after that. If you're in a different time zone, I'm afraid you need to adjust accordingly. Um, but we, we run that and that's been, that's been great. Our last one was absolutely fantastic. We had two wives of rural church planters chatting with each other about their experiences and it was, it was gold. Um, so we also, we produced a, uh, a, a module with Crossland's training oh, um, yeah. on rural ministry, which is in the sort of um, pilot phase, I guess the beta test phase in a minute. Uh, but we'd love that to be a blessing to people, to help equip people. It was written actually with the core team of a rural church plant in mind. Great. But the Crossland's folk felt that it actually had a wider application to rural ministry, not only to rural planting. So they named it accordingly. Um, we've done that we're looking at trying to produce a, a rural church planters handbook um and and we're also uh, so those are sort of some of the open things and if you're interested in rural church planting i'd love to connect with you and try to um see if there's ways we can serve you um and then within acts 29 for the rural church planters within acts 29 uh we're, we're just trying to get cohorts going um, so that we have those points of connection. So we've currently got um, Pete Rennie really has taken the lead on this up in Inverness. Mm. He's running a, a Scottish rural cohort that's been going for a bit. 
we've got the first meeting of an English one um, right. in uh, next month. Um, Northern Ireland, uh, and well, actually, our whole island of Ireland, they're getting a cohort going too. Um, and we'd like to see those expanded. I'm trying to work on how we do that in Europe. I want to try and connect with some European guys um, nice. to see if we can connect them in and begin that. Because I think those the ideas, they'll be monthly, they'll be FRAX29 members, candidates, or those in the uh -huh. assessment process, so that they are, um, yeah, they are uh, sort of people we know and we're on the same. We've got that sort of, it, it, we know who to invite, we know who is is part of it. John, if I could just ask you a question that we've not prepared you for, but just in um, hearing you speak and explain some of the pressures and difficulties of planting in a rural context. Um, it seems to me that often our funding structure for planters goes along the lines of something like um, you'll get funding from outside for three years or possibly five if you're lucky. But by that point, then you ought to be self-sufficient or it's not worked. And therefore, um, to use an English metaphor, we sort of draw stumps and, and go home again, try something else. Um, from what you've said, I mean, you've been there for 11 years and, and God's been very kind to you. Um, do, do we need to rethink how we fund planting in a rural context? Have you got any wisdom for us on that or wisdom for the, for the wider sort of planting community um, as we discuss these things? Yeah, thank you very much, Dan. Um, I, I basically think we need to be tent makers. Okay. Um, I think I think it's it's probably unsustainable to for many rural churches to employ a full time pastor. Um, so, so that's the way we've thought about it. Um, the way we did it is my wife Flick is a tax advisor, so she can. I'm not really qualified for anything, so she can earn a lot more than I can. But we figured I could do childcare a couple of days a week. Now, actually, I've been paid most of the time by the church fully, so we haven't really needed to do that. But um, we 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 sort of always thought that had to be an option if we were going to be able to be sustainably in rural ministry. We had mm. to be able to earn our earn our own keep and provide me with enough time to do do the ministry. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's the case. We, As the Rural Collective, the guy, um, David Pinkney, who's the sort of director of the Rural Collective, he says ev every rural planter has a side hustle mm -hmm. uh, and you, you have to have something else. Um, there's, a, there's a brother, Robert um, Manda, is planting in um, Malawi and he's training church planters and they train their rural church planters as they train them in theology and farming wow. so that they can do do the two. Wow. And, and I, I think we need that. As a church, we're looking, how do we plant out in Norfolk? And we are thinking it will be guys who are tent makers. Um, wow. and, and I think that that has huge advantages. Partly, um, rural people are adaptable generally and flexible. A lot of people work more than one job. It makes sense to them. It gives you a connection in with the village if you work locally. Mm. It gives you a credibility. You can roll your sleeves up and, and get your hands dirty and people appreciate that. So I think it, it, it plays well in terms of those missional connections. Mm. I think it, it establishes churches where the elders need to work together and rely on each other. Mm. Um, you can't pull the thing up by its bootstraps by yourself. Mm. And, and I think that actually just leads to healthier more sustainable churches um, over the long term. Uh, it, it creates challenges. The big challenge, I think, is the sort of, in our context, is the legal and administrative and financial burden of running a charity and that sort of infrastructure. Uh, so what we're trying to look at as a church is when we plant, we'll, we'll keep one charity structure mm. 
so that we're not having to duplicate all that effort. Yeah. Um, and I can see models where we tried, we've talked a little bit about this as a rural collective. Could we provide some sort of backroom functions for churches mm. that would free that up? And that might be a way urban churches can really help rural churches, not by controlling their budgets, but by saying that you could be part of our charity with a separate bank account, separate lines in our accounts, but mm. we will do the, the, the sort of due diligence, the compliance work for you. So you're legal and, and ethical mm. without having to do all that work. I think there could be help there. That's good. Yeah, that's exciting. John, you have written a couple of books. And uh, a question that I have for you is what sort of led you to start writing and what sort of led you to become an author? Yeah, there's a couple of answers to that, Steve. One would be um, why I wrote the the first book I wrote, which was called Serving Without Sinking, which is the one that I'd I'd had a burden to write. after I wrote that, I realized I really enjoyed writing, so I've just tried to keep doing it. Uh, the other would be what kind of led me to actually write it. Let me do that first. It was um, mm-hmm. a, a mate of mine who, who was encouraging me to write, and he said, he said, the thing about writing is most people think a book is something very, very special. Um, he said, but actually you think preaching the word of God to a church family is of immense importance. But some weeks, you don't have much time and you do the best you can and you pray and you stand up and you preach. He said, writing's just like that. You do the best you can, you put it out there. And he said, and no one will be reading it in 20 years. He said, it'll be, <laughs> so don't, you're not Luther. Um, so don't kid don't yourself. Um, and, and that was very helpful. I thought, yeah, just write stuff, put it out there. If it helps people, great. If it doesn't, that's all right. Um, and, and then I'd... The first book I wrote was one called Surfing Without Sinking, which mm. really came out of seeing myself and others turning serving Christ from being a delight to being uh, drudgery mm. and, and figuring out that I think what had happened in me, as I saw that in myself and in others, was we'd lost sight of the fact that Jesus serves us first, mm. that he draws us to himself as his friends, he takes us as his bride. He um, brings us to the Father to be adopted as his children. And, and that is the relationship out of which we serve, even like slaves serve. Paul calls himself a slave. Mm. But it's the slavery of a dearly loved son. Um, mm. And it should have that, that feel and that tone. And when we take our eyes off the Lord and just who he is in his love for us, our service becomes something either self-serving or nasty or, or bitter. Mm. Uh, and and I, I just, I'd love to capture this. Um, and, and that's what led me to, to write that book. And as I say, I, I really enjoyed it. I loved the process of writing. I found it was spiritually um, good for me, helped my walk with the Lord. Um, I write really quickly. I, I write about as quickly as I can read, I think, because I'm quite a slow reader. So it's not that onerous. Some people labor over every word. I'm just too... And too much good enough is good enough. Um, so, so I found it's been, it's been nice to do a bit more. Yeah, and you wrote another book called Disappointment. Was that because the sales of the first book weren't as good as you wanted them to be? <laughs> when, when, I, when I wrote that book, um, I said to my editor, this is a dangerous book to write. Um, <laughs> they're bombed. Um, <laughs> bombed, lovely. John, we've got a few uh, questions that we ask everybody every time we chat with them on the podcast because we just want to know a little bit more about 
what life looks like and um, for pastors and people who are in ministry specifically in with church planting. So for you, John, what does a normal week look like in terms of rhythm, rest, etc.? Yeah, uh, you, you said that question to me and I was trying to think. It's really varied, I think, like a lot of pastors. So, um, and I, I generally love that. Uh, if you do those personality tests, I always come out in the middle between introvert and extrovert. I love time in my study, studying a Bible passage, preparing a sermon, preparing a Bible study. I love time with people, whether that's school assemblies, I do quite a bit of, um, uh, preaching, whether it's meeting up one-to-one with church members to disciple one another. Uh, so, so yeah, there's a, there's a real mix, which I love. At the minute, that is really hard. I'm really missing the face-to-face relational mm. contact like everyone is uh, and finding that hard. But, but that's, that's it. In terms of, I, I've always had Saturday as a family day. Um, Sunday always feels different because I, I tend not to do desk work on a Sunday. It's all about the church meeting and the church family. Mm-hmm. So I've always liked having a weekend. So mm-hmm. I've always taken Saturday as a family day. I'm really good at false deadlines. So I finish my sermon by five o'clock on a Friday and I don't think about it till seven, eight o'clock in the morning on a Sunday. So um, I'm just wired like that. It's nice. Mm-hmm. I'm really bad at resting during the week. Uh, and and that's actually quite a struggle. That That is the bit of ministry I've really not worked out. I, I generally, I get everything done, then I rest. Mm-hmm. But when you do something that's never finished, it's really hard to rest. Yeah, so unless it's kind of late on at night or whatever, and I finish sort of for the day, I really struggle with that. And I've been trying to, um, and, and it's quite sinful because it makes what I do about me. It can sound very noble and I wasn't too committed, but it actually isn't that. It's about, about managing my own anxieties rather than mm. trusting the Lord. Mm. Uh, so I've been trying to make sure I get out for a walk every day this last year, uh, whatever the weather, just to spend time praying. And it's one of the huge blessings. I live in a beautiful, um, mm. leafy rural part of the world it's crazy not to go out and walk every day so Mm -hmm. um, most days i've i've done that and that has been quite transformative for me um Mm. over the last year good can i ask a follow-up question which again we've not prepared you for but i've just something we've been chatting about here with some of the people on staff team is is hobbies um and often those who work in ministry pastors planters don't really do hobbies um do do you have do you have a hobby Oh, that's a good question. Um, I I don't have no, I don't. I have things I like doing. I like reading. I like hanging out with my children. Um, okay. I I genuinely really enjoy playing make believe games. I've got three girls, so I'm often being a fairy, um, and <laughs> and I quite I quite I, I'm quite suited to that. Um, yeah, so I, yeah, I'm really alpha male church planter type. Um, so I I. I, I really enjoy family life and I enjoy sort of village life. Uh, yeah. So we do a lot of that. I, I did think about hobbies and I've, I've known people talk. I think hobbies can be a wonderful um, way of saying to yourself and to the world, Jesus doesn't need me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I am dispensable. I can go fishing. I can paint little toy soldiers. I can collect vinyl. Um, yep. and, and Jesus can run the world in the church. Mm. I think they can be a, a, a an all-consuming idol yep. as well. And you, 
you're preparing your sermon, but you're dreaming of your next bike ride or your next match or, or your, and, and I've seen yeah. both in yeah, yeah. friends in ministry. And so I think, I think like everything, I mean, every good gift of the Lord, um, they can be a huge blessing and a bit of a temptation. Yeah, a bit of a temptation. Any, where are people who don't just learn things through rote or through lectures, but actually through people as well? Have you got any folk who have been particularly influential or helpful for you um, as a as a pastor or even as a Christian? Um, yes, and you ask you ask me this question. I wrote a list, and I've got about twenty names on it, uh, <laughs> so I'm not going to go down it. It sounds like an Oscar speech <laughs> uh, because I I have been blessed with a huge number of very godly wise friends um within ministry and act 29 and full-time christian work uh those who are in uh paid employment um in other jobs men and women uh who who are hugely influential and mm -hmm. and i think um those friendships are are massive um people within my church that my fellow elders are incredible men um and and i we, we have a prayer meeting every friday morning and i i love it i i look forward to it um so so i think i think what i would say in answer to that question is i i have been blessed with friends and i've learned the value of cultivating friendships um mm. old and new and alongside that just assuming that the people god puts you with are he doesn't do it by accident your church family are there because he wants you to grow in christ yeah. um and he wants them to we're god appointed this afternoon and i came into this assuming that that you brothers would encourage my heart in christ as well as we'd record a podcast together because and, and i think i've learned that that god god uses his people to point us to his son mm. and mm. um yeah and it's delightful so so I'm sorry I've not got specific names. That probably would have been useful, but it was more a reflection. C.S. Lewis writes some amazing stuff on friendship uh, in yeah. his book, The Four Loves. And I mm. found that. I, I remember reading that thinking, this describes my life. Mm. Um, and I've been really blessed here. I thought for a minute then that C.S. Lewis was one of the names on your list. <laughs> <laughs> I was like... You're not that old, John. You're not that old. <laughs> I know, I know. I mean, if we talk about dead people, Lewis, Lewis and Luther would be the two. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, definitely. That's great. John, you've alluded to some of this as we've been speaking, and I really appreciate that um, when we chat with guys and people who are in ministry and are really honest and vulnerable regarding what they struggle with. But where do you, you know, what other areas do you struggle uh, as a pastor or a planter? And what are the things that you tell yourself in those moments? How do you gospel your heart? Yep. Um, so uh, this morning I was in a mess um, in a way that uh, was typical for me, um, which is a mixture of anxiety and sort of low mood. So for me, the thing I struggle with is I get overwhelmed with things that need to be done, decisions that need to be made, work that needs to be done. Um, that then makes me despondent and downcast and low. And then I tend to fall into self-pity and think that everybody is against me. Um, and 
will be cold towards my wife and distant with my children because they don't understand the terrible suffering I'm under and they're not doing what I want. Uh, and, mm. and there's a nasty, so there's a, a mixed air of suffering, but the, the, the sin I, the sinful move I tend to make is to self pity, um, and to take these pressures and not go. Uh, I, and what I do, what I've learned is, um, get out into creation, uh, and tell yourself and say aloud, this is a lie. I am, I am believing a very convincing lie because I know Jesus loves me. I know my wife loves me. I know my children love me and I've got great friends. And, um, and I, I, I need to say and hear myself say, this is a lie because it doesn't feel like a lie at the mm. time. And, and then typically what I find, um, is I then go to, there's a, I have a playlist of talks that I call awesome talks. That are talks that the Lord has used when I've had times of sort of anxiety and sadness, maybe borderline depression. I'm not sure. Uh, I listen to one of them, or I listen to music. Um, Luther said when he was depressed, he always went for Christian fellowship and music. Um, so I go to music um, songs that have moved me, particularly Andrew Peterson for me. Um, and then I go to to Christian fellowship. So I try and get with brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. um, and actually, I rang a friend and we had a chat on the phone, um, my godson, actually. And, um, and that just lifted my heart. We didn't talk about how I was feeling, actually, ended up on other stuff. But it just, and, and that, that's what the Lord tends to do for me. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And, and I think often it's like that. It's a mixture of suffering and sin that kind of brings us down and, mm -hmm. and low. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, that would be quite a typical sort of experience for me. That's, again, thank you for your honesty and vulnerability and indeed your model to us as to how to deal with some of that. That's, that's great for Robert and I to think through, let alone people listening in. Um, we, one of the things we like to do on the podcast, as you've probably realised, is we like to pray for the person we've been talking to, learning from. Um, and so how, maybe give us two or three things um, to be praying for, and then um, Robert will, will pray for you, and then we'll, we'll say goodbye. Yeah, could you pray for me in sort of in those struggles? I'm finding, I think like everyone, this lockdown, it, it, it makes us anxious, it makes us low, it takes us away from the relationships that, that sustain yeah. us. Yeah. I, I just, I would just like to be less sinful um, and more <laughs> godly and turn more quickly to Christ and, and his word and prayer. Um, mm -hmm. I know the Lord sends the spirit to those who ask him, um, Luke 11. Uh, I just need to ask him quicker. So I'd really appreciate prayer for that. Um, appreciate prayer as well. My wife and I are, we'd love to, to foster a child. We're waiting for a placement. Um, and, and it's, it's, there's not been, um, a placement yet. And that is just quite, I think it's quite hard. It's uncertain and, and just trying to work out what's, yeah, just for peace there. I think and trusting the Lord's time would be good. Um, and then if I can ask one for the church family as well, uh, we are seeing, we just love to share the gospel with our neighbours. Um, people around us are in a mess, aren't they? And, mm. and we have a church where people are, are loving their neighbours well and they're sharing the gospel. And it would just be great if we saw people saved. I think mm. there's such need. Um, mm. And, and oh, it's just so sad that people aren't turning to the Lord for the only hope they can have. Um, mm. So, yeah, 
Yeah, let's do that. Before we do, John, can I just say, and I'm sure I'm speaking on behalf of Dan here, that you are a real encouragement to many, many people and encouragement to us. And every time I chat with you and talk with you and listen to you, you you stay in my affections for Jesus, your love for him, the love for his people. So be encouraged, brother. Be encouraged. Let's pray. God bless you, mate. Thank you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that you are the one who who's, who 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 is gentle and who is lowly and the one whose heart is for us. I want to thank you for that. And we thank you that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. I want to thank you for that. And so often we don't believe that. So as John has said, we ask that the, the spirit would come quick and reveal to us the truth of what you said, Lord Jesus, and what is you promise. And I pray that you would be with John in his struggles that he shared, that actually the gospel will be real to him in those moments. Father, I, I pray, like, like, like I, I echo the prayer that we want to sin less. We want to sin less. We want to be more like your son, the Lord Jesus. And I want to pray for his family. Thank you for Flick. Thank you for the girls. And Lord, as they're thinking through what it looks like to foster, I just pray, Lord, that that whole process would be a joy for them and actually be reminded of how you have provided a home for us. We were far off, strangers, homeless. Now we have a home. And Father, the, the, the whole process of the difficult process but actually the joyful process of what it looks like to, to provide a home for somebody that, 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 that requires one. So I just pray for wisdom there and for broad grace church. We just ask Lord that you would bring people to yourself, mm-hmm. that the friends and the family and the neighbors that they're serving and they're loving, their eyes will be open to the wonder and the glory of who you are on the face of Jesus Christ. And they will become your children. Mm-hmm. So father, son and spirit, we, ask that you would do a wonderful work in the life of our brother, in the life of the rural collective, in the life of Broad Grace, in the life of his family, for your glory, we pray these things. Amen. 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 John, thank you so much for being with us. God bless you and all that you do. And uh, I'm sure if anybody wants to get in contact with you regarding the rural collective, they can. We'll probably put your details on the show notes so people can get in contact and, and engage in some way but god bless you bro thank you it's been yeah it's been really lovely chatting you guys thank you thanks so much for joining us you've been listening to the acts 29 europe podcast conversations on church planting in europe do check out the show notes for links to some of the things we've been speaking about and we'd love it if you would subscribe and share this with your friends join us again in two weeks time